Well, it's good to be here this morning. Where were you last week? I looked all over. Uh, Paul woke me up at about 7.30 and said, well, I think we need to cancel both services tomorrow. And I said, oh, yeah, I think so. And, <laughs> and that, was yes, that was last week. And then this week, what's going on? It's, it's uh, amazing what a week will bring here in Iowa. Now, had it not been for the lovely weather last week, we would have read the text that was just read on the holiest of all Holy Sundays, Super Bowl Sunday. (laughs) And you know, I'm kind of glad that things didn't work out that way, because how inappropriate really would it have been to read a story about a demon-possessed man in church on Super Bowl Sunday, because I mean, th- th- there's no comparison really. I, I, I'm not a football fan, okay, and you know that, most of you do, but, but if you football fans, you who are or anything, you're certainly not possessed. I mean, I would never make that connection. So I'm glad we weren't here last Sunday, or I might have been forced to, but uh, it's so far from the truth. I, yeah, 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 yeah. You get a little excited and a little crazy at times, a lot of yelling, face painting, deflating of balls. But even after watching that fight at the end of the Super Bowl and that dancing shark, I, whatever that was, I, I, there's still no comparison, right? So, so we won't even go there this morning. Thankfully, we had the snowstorm last week because, you know, if if that were the sermon, that that might depress us a little bit, a a lot like that nationwide commercial, but uh, none of that today. Just feel good, pick me up. That's what church is about, right? We come here to feel good, to be affirmed. I imagine that's what was happening that day in the synagogue. Now, we're in Mark chapter 1, though it feels like we've been in the Gospel of Mark for weeks at this point, and we have. But we're still in the first chapter. There's so much here, and Jesus is already beginning his ministry, and he is in the synagogue this morning, much like we are, gathered to worship. The people arrived that morning surprised to find they have a guest preacher, this rabbi whom they have not heard about from Nazareth. His name is Jesus, and after hearing his sermon, they think, well, you know, this guy might make something of himself. He's pretty good. He speaks with authority, they say, like he really believes what he's saying. But then, in the middle of their worship, right after the doxology, there's a noise. Somebody enters into their synagogue. Starts yelling, shouting, the nerve, interrupting worship. We're not here to be interrupted. We're here to focus on God. But the man keeps yelling, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. What's going on here? One of the commentaries I read this week suggested that this demon-possessed man, what he's really saying to Jesus is, why are you picking a fight with us. Couldn't you just leave us alone? Let things be. And that's what we normally do with the demon possessed, with anyone that may disrupt things. We just kind of let it be. Ignore it. Don't ask too many questions. Don't stir things up. It's just going to be more work than you're willing to handle. So when those who would disturb us show up, we quietly escort them out. No place for someone like them. We're trying to worship. We're here to feel good. No buzz killers on Sunday. Just leave him alone. 
But as readers of Mark's gospel will soon learn, if you haven't already, Jesus, well, Jesus rarely leaves things alone. He sees this man interrupting their worship, and Jesus decides right there in the center aisle to pick a fight with demons. Be silent, he says. Come out of him. And the demons leave. And everyone's amazed, and how could you not be, at the authority that Jesus has. What is this? A guy who is preaching and then goes and does something like this. A new teaching, they say. And with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Who is this Jesus who picks fights with demons in the middle of worship? Last week, I came across the official list of the top 10 best Christian books, sell, best selling Christian books of 2014. Number one on the list is this devotional book called Jesus Calls, where in the first person, the writer imagines Jesus speaking words of comfort on every day of your life. Further down the list, you'll find a book. Uh, that, 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 that helps you manage your finances in the name of Jesus. There's a book on how to save your marriage, improve your relationships. There's a biblical dieting book on the list. And two versions of the same book, the original and the movie version that, a version that tells, <laughs> tells about a young boy <laughs> who has a near-death experience of heaven and lives to sell a book about it. And of course, of course, it would not be a best-selling a list of best Christian book bestsellers. I can't speak this morning unless there was a book by Joel Osteen. This one's entitled, You Can and You Will. Now, it's no wonder these are the best-selling books. I mean, you read it and you want to be better people. You want to manage your finances better and eat like Daniel and believe that heaven is for real. And yet here we are this morning in the Gospel of Mark. Now, it's not on the list. But Mark is the very first book ever written about Jesus, the oldest of all the Gospels. There's not a lot of fluff, though, in Mark. Mark's most famous repeated word is the word immediately. It's all throughout the book. Just look. It's everywhere. Mark's always pushing the story along. Jesus is always on the, mood, on the move, and he's in quite a mood throughout most of the book. When people upset him, he tells them. When people get in the way, he pushes through them. There's no dieting plan or financial advice. Well, unless you consider that story, that encounter with the rich young ruler, when Jesus says, sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. But when Jesus begins his ministry, he doesn't show up talking about heaven and all the wonderful things they will experience one day. When he shows up, as we read a few weeks ago, his first sermon in Mark is just a few words long. The time is fulfilled, Jesus says. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Quick, to the point. Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near, so near, not out in the distance, but here, immediate. It's so close, you can't wait for it. You must respond. You must change. Repent. Now, the kingdom is here. And surprisingly, even though Jesus' message is nothing like the ones we find on our bestseller list, people respond. Everywhere he goes in the Gospel of Mark, there's a crowd waiting for him. They're amazed at what Jesus says, not because of his celebrity status or his killer book deal, but because Mark tells us he preaches 
with authority. Now, what does that mean to teach with authority? Some have said it refers to Jesus' personal knowledge of what is being said. In his day, when rabbis would preach, their sermons would often be debates on paper, back and forth of what the various rabbis had to say over the years about this text, always deferring to what others would say, what the experts claim. And yet when Jesus speaks, when we read his words, he just speaks. He just says, this is what this means. This is what God is saying. No uh, deferring to anyone but himself. Now that, that's teaching with authority. But I think more than that, people are amazed that when Jesus speaks, well, he seems to believe what he says. He's authentic. It's real what Jesus says. And he lives out his own message. He doesn't beat around the bush. He goes straight for the point. If someone needs to repent, well, he tells them. If a demon-possessed man shows up right in the middle of worship... He confronts him right there, picks the fight, and lets the man go home clean. Jesus never leaves well enough alone. He never says what you want to hear, but always says what needs to be said. Couldn't you just leave us alone and let things be, Jesus? Well, no. No, he can't. It was almost a year ago when Marty and I boarded the plane in Texas and arrived under the cloak of night to sunny Iowa, our first trip in late February 2014. The search committee flew us in without children to see if we liked the place. And I tell you, we weren't even off the plane before we were amazed at how nice this place is. Now, admitted, I was born and raised in a town literally called Niceville, Florida, and yet I am amazed at how nice you Iowans are. Even when you're grumpy, you're nice. (laughs) Fiddlesticks is the F word in Iowa. (laughs) You're you're so nice. In the South, you know, we say we have Southern hospitality, but I've learned we've nothing on you Midwesterners. In the South, we're nice to your face. (laughs) But here... Hear the niceness? I think it's real. I hope it's real. (laughs) And and I think this is a good thing. That's why we like it here. That's why people, when you get here, you know, they they say it's a flyover state. But you get here and you're like, man, I'm glad nobody else knows about this. This is wonderful. But I think being nice sometimes, we think that's the job of the church, to be nice. To be nice to everyone who comes. To be nice to those in authority. To be nice to our neighbors. But Jesus' message, at least as Mark tells us, is not a message of being nice. Jesus isn't nice. Jesus is compassionate. And that compassion means that he can't just be nice and ignore people. Not when they're suffering. Not when they disrupt worship and they've got problems in their life that need to be taken care of right there. No, nice says leave it alone. Don't disrupt the status quo. But Jesus heals them. He confronts what needs to be confronted, even if it means angering the religious leaders of his day. And that's what he does. He angers them. That's where the story goes from here. It doesn't take long for these religious leaders to move from amazement to being appalled by Jesus. His refusal to be nice, well, that threatens their power. And they're willing to kill in order to preserve their power. You don't 
you don't have people trying to kill you because you're too nice. Jesus confronts them. Jesus says what needs to be said. Nice is good, yes. But nice doesn't save the world. Sometimes, sometimes we need authority. Sometimes our life needs someone who can speak and not be nice to us, but tell us what we need to hear, not what we want. Someone who is willing to toss out whatever demons may be possessing us, to name those things so that we can find healing. What have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, can you leave us alone? Well, no. No, Jesus can't leave us alone. And praise God for that. We're better because of that. Thanks be to God. Amen.